The United We Stand podcast is brought to you in association with Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Red Army Bet, the only bookmaker committed to sharing 50% of net profits with United fans. Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm with Mark Ogden, who's the senior football writer for ESPN. And Mark's a Manchester lad. And he's been on this podcast several times before. The last time we spoke was in Michigan pre-season, ahead of... Manchester United and Liverpool when Liverpool won 4 1, and it was a pretty weak United side. And uh, um, Andreas Pereira scored a great goal. And Mark had a lot of concerns about United, and a lot of them have turned out to be true. And I can remember about that day there being more Liverpool fans in the ground and some United fans just not accepting that. And I'm like, no, no, I'm here. There are more Liverpool fans here. No, 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 I'm telling you, just accept it. There are more Liverpool fans here. And that, that stung me a little bit because Liverpool are a great, huge club, but Manchester United have usually got the edge on them in most areas, certainly not on the field this season. And the season's coming to a close and it's not been a good one for Manchester United, has it, Mark? No, it's been pretty grim, and I think uh, there's a lot of clues that day in Michigan, weren't there? I think was it four-one to Liverpool that yeah. day. They got absolutely hammered, and uh, I think Mourinho was at his most downbeat worst after the game. He was just digging everybody out, and well, he said, "I wouldn't pay to watch this team." Yeah, absolutely. And then he also said something about Alexis Sanchez, how that you know, would you want to play with these players? He was having a real kind of go at the players that he was having to put out there. Um, it was just a real kind of moody afternoon, and it, it obviously kind of. It was a precursor for the start of the season because from that point on, it was a it was a very kind of yeah down atmosphere. I think Edward was at, was at that game. He, was, he, he caught up with Jose in the tunnel first time they'd seen each other about seventeen days, and that was another issue because Jose could never get hold of him. Allegedly, Ed might have a different response to that, but just couldn't get hold of him to get deals discussed or over the line. You know, there was most of the time they were in Los Angeles, and there was an eight-hour time difference, so it wasn't conducive to having a great um, clear line of communication between manager and chief exec but yeah that was just one of the issues that you know overshadowed the start of the season and it's not really got any better since then has it really to be honest no it's, it's been grim I, I had some other observations of that game in Michigan Jurgen Klopp was mixing with Liverpool fans the Anfield rap types who travelled over from Liverpool he was singing he had a smiley face and we put word out to Jose that we'd love to interview him for United We Stand and to be fair when we'd given us a big interview not longer after he came in and we just got out, not at the moment mm. and I just saw this wall of miserableness and when I saw his that was just talking to me wasn't it I was just talking to you <laughs> both of you and, and I just thought there's a huge disparity between the way the two clubs do business yeah. uh, Matt from Liverpool in their media department came up to me introduced himself to me told me articles he'd read of mine, pinpointed paragraphs in those articles that I'd written. Mm. And I just thought, this is a sharp operation here. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot with Liverpool the last 18 months. I know you've been at Anfield quite a bit as well. Put a pair of closet scousers here between us. But I've been twice. <laughs> but um, you're right, everything that Liverpool do at the minute, is, they've got this real kind of refreshing approach to everything. It's, it's an open house policy. There's no kind of... Well, I mean, there's obviously egos there. It's Liverpool, it's a big club, but they, they're a big club with a kind of a a small family-knit kind of approach to it. And, and I'll probably upset a lot of United fans here because obviously Liverpool are the evil empire, the big enemy and all this, but the one thing Liverpool have got, and I don't think any other club in the Premier League has got, there's a real kind of bond between the club and the fans. And they've obviously worked on that. You know, Tony Barrett's got this role at Liverpool where he's the kind of the, the, the fan liaison guy. And he's a good lad, Tony. He is, yeah. And I think, uh, but it's not just that. It's, there's other reasons. I just think it, you know, it's probably something to do with Hillsborough as well. There's a real, there's a real connection, a real bond. And whenever you go to Anfield, the club and the fans are, you know, being step. This place, and it's been on this place for a while at United now, it's just, everyone's kind of, just factions all over the place. And, you know, I know they've been trying to work on the atmosphere here and trying to make the atmosphere better before games because, you know, Old Trafford before a game now is just dreary. It really is. I mean, you know, me and you have been to games all over Europe and clubs like Juventus have worked on it and Real Madrid have worked PSG it's noisy it's atmospheric and it's you know they've got the ultras and they've got these groups of fans and everything and I know it's not really the British thing to do but you can't operate anymore with 1990s attitudes and and too many fans here want, want a quiet silent before they kick off and no kind of gimmicks but the fans who want this are stuck, stuck in the Bishop Blaze till 5 to 3 they don't even see it anyway this club when I come to United I see a club that's kind of 
we've got a very much kind of 1990s feel to it. The fan base is very late aging. for aging fan base, very male fan base, right? So we're the young people, we're, we're, the, we're the women that, and it's not just the football that brings people to football grounds anymore. It's, it's, it's the whole kind of pre-match entertainment, this, that, and the other. And it's the two people at United that resistant to all that. And, and it, but it's just one of the things, one of the issues, there's all sorts of issues that need to be here, but on the pitch, off the pitch, but Liverpool had that fault in the 1990s, you know, they, they went back to the boot room and it was all about what happened in the 1980s and 1970s, and it's taken until now to get out of that. And I just look at United thinking, they're not, they're not learning the lessons of history that Liverpool suffered, that with United's lack of success in, in recent years and the kind of, you know, the, the struggles they've had, rather than look to the future, they're looking to the past. And the Solskjaer thing's a little bit like that in training at the cliff the other day was before the City game. It's like, okay, it's, it's a great imagery for the, you know, the fans love it and everything, but what does Anthony Marshall and Paul Pogba think of that? It's like, what are you coming here for? You know, yeah, we, we've seen the pits on the walls. You know, there must be, but if, if that's Solskjaer's best motivation before the Manchester Derby, let's train at the old training where the, where the Class 92 trained. It's going to be a long three years in that contract. Marshall wants to put a performance in. Before well, anything. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to defend Anthony Marshall and Paul Pogba at all. I, th I think, I think both of them are way, way over. The reputations exceed their, you know, performances and achievements. Pogba, I'd sell him straight away. I, I just think there's a lot of um, people say that Pogba's a, you know, look at his stats, look at his assists, this that, and the other. Well, Pogba for me is a player that he, he can be a great player, surrounded by great players. Surrounded by mediocre players, he becomes a mediocre player and a liability. So he goes to Madrid and shines and becomes one of the best players in the world. Maybe, perhaps, but if he stays here, he'll just continue to be a problem because he's just not going to put the work in to help elevate United to the level they want to be at. He's not going to work hard enough to to make, you know, if he's in the midfield alongside Fred, Andres Pereira, Scott McTominay, you know, Nemanja Matic, even, they're, they're all good workers, honest workers, but. They're not going to elevate Pogba. When he was at Juventus and do so well, he was, play, he was playing with Andrea Pirlo, people like Marquisio. I think, I think he might have played with Kadira for a couple of years as well. Top, top level players. With and great defenders behind him. With, yeah, and in a soft and league. And world class yeah. full backs as yeah. well. And, and in a league way, he's probably getting, what, three tough games a season. Yeah. So it's easy to do well at Juventus. Here, when he's got to put the work in, he doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. He is. I was speaking to uh, an old United player, I won't name him because he's, you know, it was an off the record chat, but he basically said to me, he said, he said, Pogba, he said, he's, he's the most selfish player I've ever seen. He never does anything for a teammate. And it's bang on, he doesn't. It's all about himself. And, you know, Marcel's a bit like that as well. Um, you can go through the team, though. I mean, I think, I think David De Gea as well, I think. He's, he's had, team, you know, he's the so-called best keeper in the world. I think agility-wise he is and reflex-wise, I think he's, he's an outdated goalkeeper. When you've when got the games now, you see um, Edison and Allison, even others racing off the line. The, the, the 30-yards from goal goalkeepers, De Gea doesn't even come out of a six-yard box. And that means the defenders have to drop, sit deeper. They can't have a higher line. And he doesn't communicate very well. And this debate, where I think he made a, that the performance at Tottenham when he made about 101 saves, partly because he wasn't coming off his line and they had to, you know, he's encouraging that Tottenham up. This debate started, you know, is, is he the greatest keeper that United have ever had? And I'm thinking, you know, no, Peter Schmeichel. I only hear United fans saying he's the best in the world. I certainly don't hear Barcelona fans saying it because they think um, Ter Stegen is. Far better than happy to hear it. It's that self-fulfilling. They're right. Um, yeah. But how old are United, these United fans that say he's the best they've ever had? How old are they? Because I mean, we grew up watching Peter Schmeichel, and for me, he, he, he just transformed the game. Peter Schmeichel as, as a goalkeeper and a communicator, and he, he put the defenders on the toes. De Gea never opens his mouth. And yeah. he was captain. And he was captain. He's been captain. He has been captain, and, and he's been offered to be made the best-paid goalkeeper in the world, mm. and he's rejected that. Fine, then tell him. You know, it's. <laughs> I, you know, the, the, I know Jan Oblak at Atletico Madrid just signed a new contract, which yeah. has probably got a bigger escape clause. But yeah. David De Gea for me is not a three all and end all. He's not a 2019 yeah. goalkeeper. Oblak, Edison, Allison, Stegen These players, these keepers are now pretty much sweeper keepers or whatever you want to call them that will give their defence the confidence to play further at the pitch and not be restricted to the six yard box. And I think De Gea just hasn't moved on. So when. Pep Guardiola brought one of these sweeper keepers, Claudio Bravo, when he brought him in from Barca. Why did it fall apart from him so quickly in a very good city team? I just think Bravo wasn't good enough. I think okay. Bravo wasn't tall enough, wasn't prepared for the physical aspects of it. I mean, you look at, you compare him to Edison, who's just, he comes for every single cross, wins 99% of those crosses. Um, 
get the ball, it's brilliant with the ball at his feet, can launch the ball. And this is the thing about City, that they're a great team to watch, but when they want to knock it long, Edison will knock it 70 yards, pinpoint, and just turn defending into attacking. And again, De Gea doesn't do that. De Gea is very much a passive goalkeeper. And he doesn't, like Schmack used to start, so, Peter Schmack has had so many attacks on Man United, got the ball, this huge throw, throw the ball 60 yards to Kinchelskis or to Giggs or whoever, and, you know, turn defence into attack. De Gea for me is just a guy who stops shots and he's very good at that or he has been until the last month but as a goalkeeper you, you need to be more than that now you need to be a guy that can stop the ball going to the net organise your defence he doesn't do launch attacks he doesn't do save penalties I can't remember the last time he saved a penalty it reminds me of Peter Shilton in Italian 90 watching David De Gea you just know he's not going to save one but all the goalkeepers like Edison Allison, they save penalties that's another aspect to his game Is Ollie the right man? Or should, is it unfair to be making, even asking that question so, so early? It is a bit early, um, you know. Um, if you talk about what his, uh, what his credentials have been, I, I don't think ex-Man United player who's had an indifferent record at Cardiff and Molde, that, that, isn't, that isn't enough for me. But let's be honest, they, they've tried, they tried the Fergie clone in David Moyes and that failed because there wasn't a Fergie clone for a start. Uh, they tried Louis van Gaal as a you know a kind of a, a guy that would bring a philosophy and build the club up from top to bottom and, bring, and introduce youth and he brought a lot of kids to do but maybe too many that didn't work and then they brought in the the serial winner and that could have worked you know they had a good you know he won two trophies in his first season but they flatlined after that and there's probably a lot of reasons for it I think one of them is that Jose couldn't get his head around the fact that he just couldn't compete with Pep Guardiola in terms of finance, attracting players or whatever. But so they tried three different different types of managers. So maybe the idea is look, let's just let's try spent more than Guardiola on players. He did. And he wasted a lot of money as well. But you know the thing with Pep at Man City, that, that team was built three years before Pep for three years before he arrived, they were getting ready for Pep Guardiola. So Bagiristine was building it. It was building it. I mean I was told in the summer of twenty sixteen when Pep took over I got a phone call from Raheem Sterling's people saying, just to let you know, Guardiola was involved in the sign he, he, he made sure they got Raheem 12 months ago he was Bayern Munich manager at the time so he was involved in getting Raheem Sterling Kevin De Bruyne there's nobody at this club making three year strategic signings this is the, another problem strategic long term signings they don't happen here again going back to Liverpool you know, three of the best players this season have been or certainly two of the best players have been Andy Robertson and Gini Ronaldo both signed from relegated clubs for not down fees when was the last time Man United did something as you know, as basic as that, as, as to look at the players that have done well for the clubs that have been relegated. It's all about names, um, names throwing money at. You know, I mean, that summer of was it 2015? Schneiderlin and Rojo and Schweinsteiger. Jesus, um, but th- there's no kind of smart acquisitions, and I can't think the last time they, the last time they made a smart acquisition is probably Chicharito, and that was going on for what nine years ago. That was 2010. They yeah. announced that the day after going out to Van Hals Bayern Munich. Yeah. And, and De Gea was bold because he was very young yeah. and he wasn't that expensive but there's been a huge shortage and when I see other clubs signing players and even Barca signing players and I think well I've not heard of him before and he goes on to become a world class player that's what a good sporting director does yeah and that's what United are looking for allegedly I'm not quite sure what they're going to end up with because I don't think there's any fans out there under the illusion that they're going to be getting a cheeky Bagheera style some of the best in football because they don't want a director of football they want a technical director which means the, the role is, has been diluted um, Ed Woodward wants to, it, well whoever comes in will report to Ed Woodward is that a good thing? well no it's not I mean I've asked the question at City it's like who does Bagheerastan report to? well he, re- he reports to Fran Soriano who's the chief exec so Ed's counterpart at City but I think uh, you know Bagheerastan's worked with Soriano before Chicky's left pretty much to his own devices because they trust him to do what he does. He doesn't have to go to Ferran and say, can I do this, can I do that. At, at this place, the guy is going to come in and he's going to have to get... There's going to be... A committee is the wrong word. Liverpool have a transfer committee. It's going to be a committee of technical director, manager, Ed Woodward, maybe Matt Judge, the tech, the guy who looks after the contracts, and a couple of the guys, a couple of the, you know, the senior scouts. And it's going to be a, like a, a collective decision on players they sign there. Chicky Bagheerastan at City will say to Pep, what do you want? I want a right back, right, I'll go and get one. And that's it, done. You know, that's, you know, United have basically appointed the manager from Mulder. The technical director could be anybody. Man City went to Barcelona and got 
well, they got the guy who used to be the chief, chief, chief exec or whatever you want to call him at Barcelona and the director of football from Barcelona and the old Barcelona manager. So they've got a bit of a brains trust. Manager, co- coach, ch- chief exec, director of football, all proven guys from Barcelona. Man, Man United have come from the guy from Molde, a guy who used to work at a bank and we still went to find out who the technical director is going to be. And City below the really senior level, there's five or six senior executives who also came from Barcelona. Yeah, absolutely. And the that, finance guy and... Yeah, you know. and which, you know, that, that could be a big mistake in the years to come because if and when Pep goes, it might be like pulling a plug out of a bath, they might all go and then, then they'll be left with a vacuum. But I'm sure City are thinking about that already because that's the sort of club they are. I'm sure they've got plans for post-Pep. At this place, I don't think they've got a plan for the day after tomorrow. Isn't it much easier when you've got the effective backing of a sovereign wealth fund as opposed to a, an in-debt American company, which is what Manchester United are? Yeah, well, you know, the stat is, you know, the Glazers have taken a billion out and Shane Masso's put a billion in and that, in black and white, that says it all. But, you know, Liverpool aren't owned by a, 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 an oil fund or anything like that. And, uh, and United have got a higher wage bill than City. Yeah, absolutely. You know, They've recruited really badly. I mean, I, I don't think American owners have been great for the Premier League really don't you know the guy Arsenal Stan Kroenke they've gone backwards since he came in doesn't put any money in the Glazers don't put any money in they don't really look at the, the ground but the guys at Liverpool don't really put any money in but what they do is they they reinvest what they make football wise you know the selling of Coutinho they sold Coutinho for 142 million they brought in Alisson for 67 and Van Dijk for 75 so every money every bit of the Coutinho money was spent on reinvesting in the players and the superb signings they're going to do a massive kit deal with probably New Balance or Nike soon, which will be as big or, or bigger than United's idea last deal. So that'll go back in the team. So there is, a, there is a model there. So United can say, well, we're not going to start compete with this sovereign wealth and it's impossible. But, you know, Liverpool have shown if you're smart and if you're strategic, you have the right people in the right places, you can succeed. And people say, Liverpool haven't won anything. Maybe, but... They've got a very good team. But they are effectively owned by a hedge fund. Yeah. What they've done is realise the potential, done the main stand at Anfield boosted the capacity up there's there's demand there they've got a cracking side at the moment maybe it's uh, their moment in the sun and I've written a lot about Old Trafford fraying around the edges and with Liverpool they've got a guy called Mike Gordon he's not got a football background but he seems smart and when they got Van Dijk they were ridiculed for it but he's the best defender in the league mm. similarly when Manchester United signed Alexis Sanchez I don't recall anybody complaining about this no no um, you know at the time I thought Sanchez was was a good sign in the sense that he was a top quality player. I'd seen him the summer before playing for Chile in the Confederations Cup, and I thought, God, this guy's he's just endless running, just a ball of energy. And uh, obviously, City were favourites to sign him then, and they missed out on that August deadline. I think from that point on, when he didn't sign for City, his head went, and he just, I mean, sulking for their own word, but for that last six months at Arsenal, he just didn't do anything. And he just hasn't come out of that malaise. And I think. United signed him, probably didn't investigate enough what his attitude was like, but, I mean, the money they're paying him, that's just caused a, a massive problem in the dressing room. It's caused a problem in the dressing room, but the players who are moaning about it are the ones that also need to get the finger out performing better to earn this massive pay rise they want. So I've not really got a lot of sympathy for the players that are kicking off about it. It's a pretty sad state of this football club, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And uh, But, you know, I think... Again, it's kind of rose-tinted spectacles and people be romantic about it, saying it's all, it all started since Fergie went. It, it started well before that. You know, 2009 when um, they sold Ronaldo. And replaced him with, go on, I'll give Val- you the drum roll. Valencia, Michael Owen and Albertan. And M- Mami Diouf, I think. But they also let Tevez go to City that summer. So they Tevez, must... they got it so wrong there. I know United fans sing about the greedy twat. They let a brilliant player go yeah. there. Someone who didn't want to leave. Exactly, so they let the best player go and a, and a brilliant, hard-working, Great tenacious player, player go. And what, what Tevez also did, he made City so much better, so much more confident that he was he was their kind of poster boy, poster boy in many more sense. He kind of convinced other big-name players to go to City and he was the start of that revolution. Now, if if United had kept Tevez, that would have set City back a year or two and, you know, who knows, but United fell asleep at the wheel under Fergie. We, you know. this, this was the year of Fergie, there's no value in oh, the market. Yeah. Nobody sets the value in the market. Alex Ferguson never controlled the supply and demand of the transfer market. In 2009, he wanted Benzema, mm. 30 million he would have been, and Real Madrid got him. And he's been a 
fantastic servant for Real Madrid and Fergie decided that no we're not going to go there so United's own parsimony has cost the club absolutely I mean I think David Silver and David View were both on the radar as well at that time but I think that value in the market thing really really is just it's bollocks really because I think at the time he he kind of accused City of kamikaze spending I remember I was at the press conference here in the Europa suite he said he accused of kamikaze spending as he was sat alongside Bebe and Chris Smalling in the press room I think it was Chris Smalling yeah I think that was like you know okay fine but back then City City signed Yaya Torre David Silva I think James Milner they were about to sign Sergio Aguero the next year all for uh, certainly Yaya and Silva 24 million each not daft daft money was it brilliant value money Aguero was a 34, 36 so you talk about value for money they, they're absolute you know over the course of the contract probably 3 million a year they cost where's the valuing Bebe and Chris Smalling and so, like. so go to now then if this is Atletico now mm. they wouldn't have to or need to sell their equivalent of De Gea or Aguero because they've become a powerhouse now yeah. they're, they're a massive club when United were winning most of the things under Sir Alex there was only really Arsenal yeah. now the City with the backing that they have there's Chelsea with Abramovich mm. is back in Add to that the debt that Manchester United have. It's a lot harder to be successful now. And also, when United go for Harry Maguire from Leicester City, Leicester City don't need to sell him anymore because every Premier League team has he's got money. You sell it at Woodward, though. I know I do, but I, I do think there's another point to it. He, he, United have spent a lot of money on transfers and players. They've just recruited terribly. Well, yeah, they've, you know, they've spent a lot of money badly. They've invested yeah, they badly and. But they've spent it. They, 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 this isn't Fergie in '96 no. only bringing Tony Coton in for no, no. 500 grand and, and buzzing off the fact that he's still going to win the league. Yeah, I mean, look, I still think that if United want to play, they'll get him, um, providing they're not up against Man City. Not in the sense that City are a bigger club, but it looks like they're not going to be able to offer Champions League next year. So if you're going to get a top, top player in the Europa League, you have to pay him way over the odds. And I think they've got to kind of draw the line there. I think they've got to, they've got to look around the league and. If, if it means signing David Brooks from Bournemouth or for the future or something like that, that, as long as you have a blend of players like that and proven players, players in the mid twenties who've you know have got a bit to, have still got something to prove, but have also got a bit of a pedigree as well, they're just going to have to spend the money. They've got the money. They were nowhere for Van Dijk last year, and they could have easily have done Van Dijk because the one thing that players will tell you is Man United pay more than anybody else. So, and players, they don't have the kind of very few have this kind of. Just the badge mentality. It's where's the money? Because it's, it is a short career. So Virgil van Dijk could have made an extra hundred grand a week by signing for Man United. So that would have turned his head. But because he'd signed uh, Lindelof and Bailly, yeah, and because he already had Smalling and Jones and Rojo, that should have been an even more reason to sign yeah. Virgil van Dijk because yeah, they already had Rojo, Smalling, and Jones. Um, but yeah, this bit made a lot of bad decisions, and it is hard to sign players. One thing that you know, I think Ed told in the past. And, you know, this sounds like a bit of a downer at this whole thing, but I, I do think he's right in many ways, and I think he's he's actually his heart's in the right place. He's a genuine guy who really wants to win and succeed, but I just think he doesn't he doesn't get it enough. It, I, there's no edge at Man United. There's no there's no edge from the Glazers to Ed. There's no and even well maybe Chelsea's different. But there's no kind of edge. So when Mourinho comes in, he's got a lot of edge and a lot of a lot of bastard in him. They don't know how to handle it. They're too nice. These people at this club are too nice. And I, I don't get the sense that they want to win. You've got Man City. They are driven, hard-nosed people who want to win. They haven't got that here. I think the Glazers, as we know, would be happy to finish second or third every year, get in the Champions League, compete for trophies. Winning trophies is not the be-all and end-all for Ed Woodward or the Glazers. It should be, but it isn't. And I think Fergie had that. And since, since he went, and since, that, since the Class of 92 went, those sort of people... There's not enough people here that want to win. There's too much of the motivation is how much money can I earn? How much money can we earn as a, as a, as a club? You know, how high profile can we be? How many, how many posters in Bangkok and Shanghai will Paul Pogba be on next, next season? They've got to start winning again because if they don't, they'll find that they're being overtaken because, you know, United were ahead of the game and Edward was part of this, you know, slicing and dicing. Up Commercially, club, yeah. You know, tractor partners, potato partners, whatever you want to call it, but everyone else is doing that now. So what United doing now that is giving them the edge? Well, they're not. Man City and Liverpool are the ones that have got the edge because they're on the pitch. So United have fallen behind. And I sense there's too much kind of stubbornness and arrogance to copy what others are doing now. Others have, cop- you know, others have copied United over the years. Well, it's United's turn now to copy, to copy Liverpool, copy Man City. And 
I still get the impression that it's like a woman, you know, it'll be all right. No, they're not, not at all. The money has gone into the youth system, and that was under-resourced for yeah. a long time. I'm trying to search for positives here, um, and I'm struggling. Yeah, I mean... I like, what, I like the cut of what Solskjaer says, but it is only words. Mm. Yeah, and if he's just playing this sort of Man United bingo, badge on my chest, we're going to do this, thanks to the fans, it'll only carry someone so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's what the club needed after six years, almost, of just pretty much miserable football and miserable mood. Maybe they needed a bit of a, a comfort blanket, a bit of nostalgia. And it might, it might work. You know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's certainly helped the atmosphere around the club on match days, I think. And also, let's be honest, when, when they were looking for a manager... There's only one manager in the world at the minute you think drop everything and wait for, and that's Pep Guardiola. And United aren't going to get Pep Guardiola. It'd be funny if they went for him. Well, it would, yeah. I mean, just, I said they should have done this four or five months ago. Just go to him and say, do you want to move to a bigger club? Yeah, what's More the successful challenge? club? Well, you know, and, it's not I mean, far from where you live. Well, Pep Guardiola, you never know. I mean, you couldn't try that trip with Jurgen Klopp because he's, I think he's kind of embedded in the Liverpool thing and he's very much a kind of community coach. You, that's his heartbeat. I think Pep's just a ruthless... I think he'd, do, he'd go wherever the, the challenge is, but he's not stupid. He's not going to come here and tarnish his reputation by doing an impossible job. But maybe it appealed to him to succeed when Mourinho failed. That, but uh, I think former player said to me, they should go to Pep and say, you don't need to live a lie anymore. You can wear your yellow ribbon. Yeah. Come and coach a bigger club. Well, but but in, but yeah. In all seriousness, though, it, once it became clear that the best coach in the world isn't available, then as much as I admire Pochettino. He's not won anything, and if he came here, he's not going to suddenly bring Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Christian Eriksen. He's got to start again with what he's got, and he's got a lot of average crap, to be honest. Overpaid yeah. players so, who are difficult to get rid of. Yeah, absolutely. Who keep getting contract extensions. Oh, God, yeah, I mean... It's odd, isn't it? Bizarre. And then, you know, the second... You know, if, if, if you can't get Pochettino, who else is it? Well, Allegri at Juventus, he's ready for a move, I, I guess. But, you know, he's never managed in the Premier League. Yeah. What, what is it, managing Juventus is pretty easy in Italy because they got way, way, way ahead of everybody else. So, so really, what, what do you do? I mean, Solskjaer was maybe the best, well, wasn't the best option. It was, there wasn't many options available at the time, so just try something else. If it doesn't work, then who knows, in a year's time, Solskjaer might have gone and Pochettino's ready to leave Tottenham because you're giving it a year at the stadium and, you know, they haven't won anything again. So maybe, maybe this is just a kind of a, a temporary... Interlude. I don't know. I mean, I'd love to see Solskjaer succeed, but in my heart of hearts, I don't think he will. I don't think he's tactically got what it takes. I think he's, um, you know, may- maybe a smart move from the club would be to look at the coaching staff and bring in today's equivalent of Carlos Kiros. You know, somebody who's, who can coach, who can make them tactically smart. And, and you say about edge, and I, I didn't really know a lot of this at the time, but I got to know Carlos when he left the club. This often happens with, with my line of work, and the players didn't like Carlos. Mm. Challenged it. Yeah, because, because I mean, Giggs told um, a story which went quite flat on TV, but there's actually, there's actually a good story there. Kiros walked in and just said, Giggs, and he'd just been used to being called Ryan, yeah. and he was hard with him. And Ryan maybe wasn't the best person to, to tell it like that, but he drove them. He was obsessed by detail. When they played Barcelona away in the semi-final of the European Cup, he knew where every single Barcelona player would be at every point in the game, or as close to... And, and he filled in for the deficiencies which Fergie had, the languages. He knew that. And if you look at the current coaching staff around them... Well, you know, this is the thing, and, you know, I think Michael Carrick's a great lad. And, and he, he's got the club at heart, but this is his first season in, you know, senior coaching. Kieran McKenna, the same sort of thing, never coached this level in the past. Mike Phelan, you know, he's more of a kind of a guy that gets things done around the club. He's not a coach. So, right, even even during the, the I think it was about February time, the Solskjaer thing was, you know, at its height. They were, I think they won eight on the bounce. And I was speaking to a, a player's agent and he said, oh, he said, the, the players think he's, Solskjaer's too English. I mean, what he meant was that he's too English in his, his ideas and, I thought then that was interesting. They've been winning all these games and there's, there's a bit of kind of resistance that, to his methods. But then, you know, French players, Spanish players, South American players are used to being tactically challenged. And uh, But again, I think there's a, probably an element of paranoia at the club as well. The players despised and hated the Van Gaal reset raising because it was too tactical. It was just too... They, you know, <laughs> I remember being in Washington on Van Gaal's first summer he said that 
his philosophy was that the players, he wanted to make sure that they didn't use their intuition. So I went back over the tape thinking, it surely meant he wants them to use their intuition. He's Man United, you want your players to think off the cuff. But no, no, he didn't want them to use their intuition. And I remember speaking to Johnny Evans about this, and he said that, uh, yeah, he said, you know, Van Gaal would play old DVDs and tapes, and, you know, if you were, if you were like, an inch, or maybe an inch, over oh, an exaggeration, but if you're foot in the wrong, wrong position on the pitch, he'll pull you up and tell you that move to your left and, you know, 12 inches. It's like, what the fuck, you know? And this was in one of his many, many, many meetings. Yeah, exactly. Which you had to be there on time if you were a minute late, as a couple of senior players were, then you were castigated in front of the whole group. I know lads who just, I cannot stay at this club anymore. Deeply like respected footballers. Yeah, it's like being back at school. And, uh, and I can see Carlos being a bit like that. But, sorry, Kiro, I should say, but... He's not that bad, he's not they had, But they had the blend of Sir Alex, Carlos Kiro, Mike Phelan, Manny Moonenstein, they had a blend... Totally different personalities. Yeah. Because you, have, you would have Mike Phelan, who... He just felt he had to protect Fergie. He wouldn't say anything, he wouldn't rock the boat at all. You had Rennie, who was far more... Too outspoken, even. Mm. Totally different opposites. Mm. But it Absolutely. worked. Yeah, totally. And then this master sat above them all... Yeah. Playing them off against each other and getting this winning, yeah, winning mentality. Creative tension, as I said. They weren't mates. No, I can imagine. They didn't keep in touch. <laughs> but it's but yeah, you look at that coaching stuff now, and I think Ollie would really benefit from a coach who has been around the block and, and knows, you know, tactically would sharpen everything up. And Ollie's ego would have to accept that. And obviously, Ollie has got an ego. He's been a great player, so he will have an ego. And whether he'll be threatened, threatened by that, I don't know. But I think they do need to look around and think. Where's the, where's the expertise here? Where, where, where do we where do we lack? And you know, he said about players don't didn't like Kieran or Milston. The City players aren't really big fans of Guardiola. Yeah. He's he's on top of them non-stop, and and I think when he goes, there'll be a sense of relief at City that he yeah. goes, but also there'll be a massive drop off. As there was at Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was see, watching that very closely, and him saying, "I've done what I can do." Here. No, 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 no. He's fallen out with so many of those major players. Yeah. And I saw it happen again with Luis Enrique at Barcelona, and that's what he does. He just he cracks the whip too hard, and you but know, he wins. Absolutely, that's what matters. Yeah, and I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing that here. I'm not seeing that ruthlessness and that edge at Man United at the minute. You know, I know that Michael Carrick's got edge, and I know that Elegant Solskjaer's got edge, but fundamentally, they're both nice guys. There's no bastards in there anymore. I think you need a bit of a bastard at times. You need, you know, the, the, everyone talks about the Roy Keynes and the Gary Nevilles and Peter Schmeichels, all these ferocious characters well that is driven by the people around you, you become a product of your surroundings and if the surroundings people are nice you know just nice guys then you just become, it, more, it become more a bit them. soft when you see Keane on TV I mean I wonder whether there's a role for someone like him or whether he's too unpredictable and his management at, at Ipswich that was a disaster there I spoke to Ipswich fans yesterday who said our downfall started with Roy Keane but then I see uh, Gaz and you and I both know mm. um, that these scolzy and people like that they must have something to give yeah but then you've got the issue of how did he incorporate them into the club when there's yeah, tensions there yeah I mean I think for Roy Keane to succeed he has to be not surrounded by but a team full of people with a similar mentality yeah and you know the, the Gary Neville's Ryan Giggs Paul Scholes etc Van Nistelrooy when I was the all had Rooney they all had that similar mentality to Keane win at all costs but they didn't just exhibit it like he does you know if you brought Roy Keane at this club now, it'd be a disaster because the fans would love it. But he'd kick off with everyone. He'd, he'd kill everybody yeah, in the dressing room, and I think some of the players need that, but they just couldn't handle it. So, as much as I think Keane is brilliant and he says a lot of things that are correct, he's just he's just the wrong guy at the wrong time, really. So, but yeah, I think there is a danger of going too far back to how it used to be. But I do think that you know Fergie always used to um, go on about how we wanted this club to emulate by Munich, by um, having former players in senior positions. And that hasn't really happened. And, uh, you know, Ajax do it successfully. Obviously, we've seen Van der Sar doing great as a chief exec. You know, Bayern have done it great. I do think that there's, there's definitely... I know Nicky Butts doing it with the academy, but I do think that, you know, Gary would be good in a management position at this club. Just in the sense that he would... He'd annoy people, but he'd get things done. And he'd... His expertise of working, you know, he's got his own businesses and he's, he's worked at the club, he knows the club, he's been a fan of the club all his life. He, he would he would bring that edge and that drive to take it out of this malaise. I'm not suggesting that you bring all the class tonight to you, but I think that would be overdoing it because I, I, you've got to look to the, the future as well as the past. But I think, you know, Michael Carrick's a bright guy. 
Edwin van der Sar is doing a great job at Ajax's chief exec. He's not going to leave that. No, but pe people are getting confused. You know, he should be the technical director. He's doing a different job at Ajax, but I do, you know, I think, and, and I know Ed and van der Sar are quite close, actually, in the sense they're, they're very respectful of each other. I don't think van der Sar would leave Ajax now, but I think he went on record in the Sunday Times a couple of weeks ago saying that in a couple of years I've done my job here, but Ed needs to have that kind of. Uh, you know, when, when Edwin van der Sar walks into a room, people stop and take notes because he's a big guy. For so he, he's got he's got that charisma. Ed, Ed hasn't got that. And you know, if your leaders are are not impressive in terms of what they what they exhibit, then you're not going to succeed. But going back to the you know the former players, I do think that there is a role for them here, but maybe not as straightforward as on the coaching staff in, in key areas. You know, upstairs in the directors, you know, in, on the board. You know, Bobby Charlton was. No. Same with the Gary Neville in the sense he, he, he was elevated to the board because he was a former player that had gone into business. Gary's obviously much more outspoken than Bobby Charlton ever was, but I think he's got a similar background and a similar drive and a similar desire. And I think they've got to park all this nonsense of this class of 92 glaze, this class of 92 Ed Woodward rift or whatever you want to call it. Or. So I mentioned some other names then Rio Ferdinand, Nemanja Vidic, done his pro badges, waiting in Milan, twiddling his thumbs, Patrice Evra, careers ended. Yeah, well, players who were absolute winners. Here yeah, for doing nothing. I think Vidic would be a bit, bit so much like Roy Keane in the sense that he'd frightened a few people. He's got, a lovely man, the man. Yeah. yeah. Did you get on with him when he was here? Yeah, I got on great with, with Vidic. He gives us brilliant interviews. But I, I think he was. It could be quite different for some of the players in the dressing room, some of the young ones at, at least. I Is that, that not a bad thing to bring these different influences in? Where you're shit scared of him and. You like him because he's a joking. Yeah. Anderson fitted in with this yeah. environment, and he was just a joker. Yeah, but they, they loved him. No, I think Rio again, you know, is one that would bring something to it. Charisma, that kind of effervescence that he's got. I think Darren Fletcher might be coming back. Yeah. There's a role for Darren Fletcher. Which I think yeah. is a brilliant idea because he, you know, he's, he's a guy who's very bright, very smart, and speaks really well. And I think he's got the club at heart as well. And I, you can't just appoint anybody, but I think I don't know what Patrice would bring. You know, I think he's a character, but I think he'd have to close the Instagram down if he's going to come. Uh, it's not as bad as Eric Cantona's, but it's not far off. What uh, did you think when you saw Eric Cantona's <laughs> uh, most recent and infamous Instagram post? Well, first of all, I thought, is that him, first of all? And then I thought, no, it can't be. Then I thought, well, what's he doing that for? Uh, I just, I've not tried to interpret it. I just thought it was funny and uh, then I moved on. But um, I've not scrambled eggs in, to put it that way. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Maybe if we join you pre-season. Are you going to go on the tour? I'm going to do a little bit in uh, in Singapore and Shanghai, yeah, so... Uh... So I'll see you in in Singapore. I'll buy you a sling. <laughs> Probably about 30 quid for a drink now, won't it? Every chance. Buy you a glass of water and we can do the podcast then. Yeah. Thanks for your time. So you're doing stuff for ESPN. You're not just doing United now, you're, you're out and about. How many games have you been to this season? What's your normal routine of work? Go to the biggest games in the world? Too many games. Uh... How yeah. many have you done this season? I've never counted them, to be honest. I did like, before, 80. Jesus. Probably it's, the most. Basically, the role is, with Premier League, it's the top six, so whatever the big game of the weekend is. So, United-Chelsea today, I could have gone to Burnley v Man City, but I'm just getting a bit bored with the title race. I think two big failing clubs fighting over the wooden spoon is a better story. Uh, and then, Champions League, I go where the game is, so off to Barcelona on Tuesday for the game on Wednesday. Uh, expecting Liverpool to win, but hoping that Barcelona did the job. Um, so <laughs> that's basically. I'm know. getting out of town. I'm not. I can't go there. It'll be the first Champions League game I've missed for Barcelona all season. The problem is, I've been seeing how United tore them apart in the first ten minutes of the new camp with Rashford and Lingard. Liverpool will do that and score. Yeah. So that's yeah. the difference. That first ten minutes, it's sad this, but it was fantastic. I sat watching. It was like thinking, Rome. And it was, it like... was like Rome, but I sat there thinking, "This is brilliant. Life is brilliant. Football's brilliant. This football team, brilliant. Oh shit, Ashley, what have you done?" Yeah, don't remind me of. <laughs> I don't know if you're into your boxing, but I remember when Ricky Hatton fought Mayweather yeah. for the first, well, yeah. in, and, and, you know, everyone got a bit giddy and thought, he might have a chance here in the first yeah. couple of rounds. Like, yeah, he's giving it a go. And then after three rounds, Mayweather's class just told and he just slapped him around. And then, so it happened in Barcelona. It happened the week after against Man City as well. So Man United turned into Ricky Hatton, yeah. which yeah. is probably not a good metaphor. Underdogs. I remember when Manchester went for the Olympic Games feeling on the night of it, you know what, we're going to win, we're going to win. I started to believe it, we're going to win. The odds have shrunk, we're now the favourites. And if you stood back and think, there's no way Manchester's going to pip Sydney and Beijing, yeah. and then the reality strikes and floors you. I had the same feeling in 2011, I walked at Wembley Way before the Champions League final, thinking, yeah, I think, I think they've got a yeah. chance here. And then I saw, and then what was it? Fabio was playing, Valencia was playing, and Messi was at his absolute peak then. It was, uh, you were 
going on Catalan radio saying there will be no repeat of Rome. Trust me, lessons have been learned. Well, there wasn't a repeat, it was worse. It was worse. Yeah. That's probably the best Barcelona performance, I think. That was peak Barcelona. Yeah, they beat Madrid 5 0 last yeah. season. Direct go by Wayne Rooney, which gets forgotten, but still, it was. Great uh, goal. Yeah, that was. Uh, I've still not got to the bottom of what happened at half time in the United dressing room because. They were looking for Berbatov. Right. <laughs> <laughs> People I would trust with my life said it really kicked off with an argument, and other people who I would trust equally said, "No, no, nothing happened." No, I'd love to go in search of the well. I've gone in search of the truth. And, uh, I'll ask a few questions, and uh, I'll get back to you on that. I'll tell you in Singapore what I find out. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. It's post-match after United have drawn one-one with Chelsea, and uh, the Spanish Jim Layton throwing one in his own net yet again <laughs> and basically cost us Champions League football for one more year so it'll be Thursday night football for United for, for, for next season uh, with me today uh, I've got Stu Edwards I've got Ant Shaw and, uh, and Bloomy's back as well uh, and as ever I'll start with you um, not a bad performance by United today but we certainly haven't got the quality to be able to legislate for continuing mistakes like that one we have done today have we? No, definitely not. But I do, I do think it shows how far, you know, our expectations have sunk when, you know, Chelsea were just inviting us on, really, and um, we we didn't have the tools or the energy. It seemed to, um, you know, um, trouble them second half at all, which was a bit of a shame. Um, dead, quite a flat Old Trafford. Um, all the. You know, the only energetic players and the players with a bit of purpose seem like Herrera and McTominay when he came on. But I think that that, that says a lot in itself. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty flat and pretty disappointing. Stu, Europa League football next season, um, is that the best we deserve? Yeah, definitely. Firstly, I was hoping you were just going to edit Wednesday night's podcast and save us 20 minutes because it's going to be exactly the same by all accounts. <laughs> but now you've started, we're going to have to finish it, aren't we? Another 20 minutes just on talking about De Gea's new contract. <laughs> yeah, we're nailed on for six. Is there any way we can just give Huddersfield uh, and Cardiff three points and just call it a day today? Well, we might, yeah, anyway. So I, wouldn't, <laughs> so I don't know about giving them the points, but. Just, just dreadful. Like, you've just used the word I was going to. That was sort of like going around in my head towards the end of the game. Uh, quality or lack of quality throughout the pitch again. Uh, the ball's like a hot potato, isn't it? No, no one really wants the ball. Everyone's scared of making a mistake, and that probably grew after after the you know obviously the De Gea fuck up. But the team were okay. We'd, we'd, we'd you know we're, we're getting about Chelsea. And Chelsea aren't great either, are they? But I think once that happened, I think it just affected the whole team again. Yeah. Blue Met. Um... The first half wasn't bad, was it? Until we gave the goal away. But the second half was disappointing in the sense that Chelsea obviously were happy with the point. It pretty much guarantees them probably um, fourth, fourth spot and another crack at Europe, uh, the Champions League. They contained us pretty easily, though, didn't they? Without being great themselves. Just two poor sides, mate. At the end of the day, they've got a lot of work to do. Um, I actually thought first half did okay, um, and but after that mistake, it just seems. Uh, really go flat after that and it was similar to the other night actually whereas we had a good start and there was just one in, one incident and that's that's killed our whole performance after that and it's done it again so and uh, I hate to keep going on about Decay but obviously he's the he's you know he's the, he's the one yeah, well exactly um, at what point do you pull him out of the team because there's an argument to say that you know if you do drop him then it's not going to do much for his confidence but how you know for how long do you keep going where you let him make these mistakes that have Effectively, I mean, we could have could have easily got a draw against City. We could have won the game today. You know, he's possibly cost us Champions League qualification this week. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not there's not much more to say than what's already been said. Is that I, I do believe that he's brought the attention on himself um, by you know, like I kept saying the other night, and border border saying it. You know, he's re- refused a contract to become the best paid goalkeeper in the world when he's not the best goalkeeper in the world, in my opinion. I think he's one of, and he's part, but. I think he's um, he's got a few weaknesses, like a few others, and he's. Um, I'd love him to stay. I really would, um, but there's absolutely no question that. I, I, a lot of people say, you know, you, you don't know that he's making this mistakes because he's involved in these contract talks. But how many mistakes has he made recently now? Mm, and recent. he's playing now with that, that that those wages on his mind. However, he plays in the next in the last ten weeks influence what he's going to get paid next season probably 
So uh, it's an unwanted, it's an unneeded pressure playing for Manchester United, isn't it? Having um, a contract looming over you and having the pressure of you know if you do make a mistake, then you, your contracts probably pay what people are willing to offer you will reduce. So but I just wish you know he'd have realised you know they're offering me. Because I've been loyal, they're offering me the opportunity to be the best paid goalkeeper in the world. Oh, no fans would have complained about that. You know, everybody would have been happy and could have moved on. But I do think there's an element of greed that yeah. started. There's a, there's a danger now where he's, he's brought it on himself. There's a danger now where it's going to go too far and it's just going to get people alienating him. Do, do you have, do you, if that anyway. was Romero in that though, it, it would have been dropped. And for me now, yeah. for, for me now. He's got to put Romero in for the next two games and say to and say to the hair, you've got to the thirtieth or whatever, thirty first of, of May to sign yeah, contract. You've got to, yeah, absolutely. It's a bit late now. I mean, well, the, the, the old contract thing. Now, it reminds, do you remember that, that episode of The Simpsons where Mr. Burns runs Bart over and he offers him like half a million pounds, and then when he finds out he's then got a phony doctor involved, he comes back with a new offer that's just a piece of paper with a big fat zero on it, <laughs> and um, the guy's just creeping towards that territory with every passing mistake he makes. So, Stu, you would drop him then for. The next two yeah, games, yeah. but I mean, does it really matter now anyway? Because no, it doesn't matter in, in regards to points and where we're going to finish. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, and based on sort of like what Ollie was saying in the press conference on Friday, I don't think I, I think he alluded that he wasn't going to be dropped. But I still expected when I looked on my phone at half past three to see Romero in there today. I, I honestly did. I don't think it helps that Romero's pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> He's not, though, is he? I disagree with you totally. I um, I think he's a decent. Right. Right. I think he's a decent. I believe it's all right being a backup goalkeeper. Probably when you have to play ten games on the trot, yeah. that's when yeah. you know. So you're telling me Romero wouldn't be one of the top three or four keeper in the Premier League? No chance. <laughs> Absolutely. Name three better than him. He's only just in the top three or four at United. Name <laughs> three better than him in the Premier League. Liverpool goalie. Liverpool. Yes, it's goalie. Yeah. Two. Josh Michael. I'm okay. Casper Schmeichel. Casper Schmeichel. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Better remember it? Nah, it's probably four better in the but championship. This is it, though. I, mean, I remember Roy Carroll being all right when he used to come in for one or two games. But when you're a goalkeeper and you have to play 20 games on the trot for Man United. Throwing things in his net. Yeah, that, that's so, when there's. Yeah, but he never has, has it? That's when yeah. we separate the men from the boys. Yeah, but he never has played 20 games for United. Sam Dory gave him a free transfer. He's <laughs> <laughs> not going to be brilliant, is he? <laughs> he's got like the, he's got like the record though, isn't he, for the most clean sheets or something like clean sheets per game ratio? Because all he ever plays him against is like the shit in the Europa League. But he's gonna have, he's, at least he's gonna get a few more games next year than he has this year. Uh, and you was um, you was a bit pissed off with subs today. Yeah, I thought um, to be honest, I don't I don't really understand what we're trying to why we're trying to bring Sanchez on the field. You know, I thought we got over that, especially when you know you've got Martial. We know one of them is definitely going to be here next year, and the other one's not. So I, I'd always go with the one that doesn't he get seventy k as well every time he walks on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, well apparently he got seventy five grand bonus for them twelve minutes against yeah. City the other day. The ball once, yeah. it's not bad, is yeah. it? That's another reason not to bring him on. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, yeah, I, I suppose he can only deal, he can only use what he's got. And you know, don't get me wrong, I like that Tom and He's really um, proved a lot of people wrong. And when he came on the pitch, he was um, first one with his head up, passing forward. But my problem is, is that. If you're trying to win a football match, McTominay for Mata is a very negative substitution, isn't it? Mm. Well, I thought he should have been on the pitch from the start in place of Matic, who I think was appalling again today. But Yeah, you, I have, I, like I said to you, didn't I, in the ground, I've got a bit of sympathy with Matic because I think he played about 70 games last season. No, never missed a game, did he? Always straight back in. And then um, he went to the World Cup as well. And I just think... You know, he's, he's, he's never really recovered from that this season. I think he needs um, a good pre-season behind him. The fact so remains, though, fairly, we, yeah. we finished the game today, haven't we, with three holding midfielders on the pitch, yeah. whereas yeah. Chelsea were throwing forwards on, City brought Sane on the other night. Yeah. That's that's, that's problem. Yeah. You're at home trying to trying to win a game you need to win if you're looking at fourth, and we finish a game with three holding midfielders. Just a real lack of quality, isn't there? I think we, we said in the first half, I don't think any of us in here... The first half against City the other week, we weren't we weren't disappointed in the effort, was we? It's just a, not an even no first half today, and I thought Lukaku was getting stuck in and you know going into the channels. But once we scored, we seemed to step off again and let them back into yeah. the game for 10-15 minutes. It's just been a pattern the whole season, though, hasn't it? So it didn't surprise. It's just it's just annoying. We just can't keep up a performance for 90 minutes. And then you've got and, dickheads like yeah. Bailey fucking doing what he yeah. does, and then dickheads like Rojo doing what he does when he comes on as well. So. I fucking give up, honestly. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, you can't really single out anybody today and say they played badly. Obviously, the game made the mistake, but Bailey, 
did okay at times, but you know he is rash, isn't he? Yeah. And that's um, <clears throat> same with Ryan. I thought, I thought he'd had a reasonably good game up yeah, until. He did, he did okay. Yeah. Still, still reminds me of a fucking baby dude. But you're only talking fives and sixes, maybe a seven, aren't you? Yeah. There's no eights and nines in there. Is there still today? Uh, another player who disappointed a little bit again today, and, and we've just been talking about players playing too many games, was uh, for me was Rashford again. Yeah. Somebody mentioned in the ground to me that he's not looked right for me since the Liverpool game when uh, he couldn't sub him off because we had already used up our subs. But is he a player in desperate need of a break at the minute as well? Possibly, yeah. And I think he's been carrying a bit of an injury for the last couple of months. You can yep. sense that he's, like the last few games anyway, he's been struggling. Just seems to be pulling up here. He went there. straight down seems, the tunnel yeah, as well today, didn't he? Just seems to straighten himself uh, the last few times. Yeah. He's played every match as if he's going to start crying. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what he's at um, Game is, and I was, I was pretty scared when he got a free kick at our end after his um, recent efforts. But, um, you know, fortunately, he got one on target. For <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to wrap this up pretty soon. There's not really a great deal to talk about. Um, did anybody particularly stand out for you today? And who, who are you going to give your man of the match to, I'll, Blimey? I'd probably go. I know he's probably end, he's, he'll probably end up leaving next month, but I think Herrera, he got about his most, <laughs> most energy out of everyone on the pitch, and he tried getting things going. We just seem Seems to be a bit more about us when he's playing, but he won't yeah, I, thought so. he did, I thought he did have a half decent game. Stu, you want man of the match today? Although I, I agree with Bloomer's comment, it's not, you know I think I'd have, I'd have, you know, I'd have got man of the match today if I'd have played. I'd have, I'd have put that much effort in. Um, it's not enough for me. It's just not enough. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with what I said on Wednesday. <laughs> You're still not picking I, anybody. I can't yeah. give anybody no. because you've got for man of the match, you've got to, you've got to be an eight plus out of ten, and there's nobody on that field today. It was nowhere near an eight. I'm sorry. Anybody stand up for you today? Um, I think I'd just give it because I have to. I'd, I'd give it. You don't have to. Just, just on energy alone. <laughs> um, but as you, as we keep saying, as it wasn't on Wednesday, um, it, United are all huff and puff when they, you know, when they do that, they do okay. But there's a, a, a severe lack of quality. And we've only had two shots again today, have we? It wasn't. Right? It wasn't many. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. Well, I'm actually going to give our man a match to our day leader, uh, Anthony Shaw, today for. Which was easily the, uh, the, the the moment of the match when he, he chased five Chelsea fans up the street and proceeded to throw one of their chips in one of their faces after <laughs> after they held some abuse at us and then got a bit of a telling off from the police for it. But um, yeah, that was great guts and it's, it's a shame we don't see a bit more of that on the pitch. Um, so, so, yes. <laughs> we don't like it. So yeah, so yeah, maybe you can get a game actually at Huddersfield. Uh, and, um, we'll. Um, we will have somebody back from Huddersfield. We'll obviously be back um, to finish the season off uh, with our end of season stuff at, at Cardiff. Uh, Andy's not going to be here for the next uh, couple of weeks because he's flying off to to Mexico to uh, to meet Maradona. Um, so it'll be a bit of. No, he's not even got a meeting. He's chasing him around. Oh, he's always chasing him around. Yeah. So um, I, I know Maradona obviously a bit of a party animal, and yeah, he might have a bit of a surprise when he meets Andy. But um, yeah, it's a new level of partying with that guy. But anyway, yeah, they'll be back. Um, I don't know who's going to do, the, do it from Huddersfield, but we will be back from Cardiff. Um, We're not playing. We've given them the points. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then, then next season we'll be back quite a lot every, every Thursday, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, thanks very much Have for listening again, and um, we'll see you soon. United we stand and Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Visit redarmybet.com or download the app for all the latest United specials and enhanced odds. Red Army Bet, the only bookmaker committed to sharing 50% of net profits with United fans.